Hello, welcome. Uh, today on Ask a Pastor, I'm joined by Emily D'Angelo. Emily is one of our directors of women's ministry at our Wexford campus at Orchard Hill, and as well as working with some of our different life stage ministries. Emily, welcome. Thank you. Uh, Emily's been doing a great job just engaging women around different Bible studies, different events, and so I'm excited just to have her join us here today. As always, if you have questions, please feel free to send them to askapastor at orchardhillchurch.com and we'll be happy to address those in coming uh, podcasts of Ask a Pastor. If you're listening on the radio, you can also send that to uh, askapastor at orchardhillchurch.com. So Emily, one of the questions that, uh, that somebody sent in is this, and it's, is taking IVF injections considered usurping God's authority and sovereignty in one's life. So, so maybe just tell us a little bit about what that is for somebody who maybe mm -hmm. isn't familiar with it and why that might even be a question or an issue. And then uh, tell us kind of how you would help somebody think about that. Okay. So before I answer the question, the story that came to my mind from the Gospels mm. that um, I would share with someone who came to me with an infertility question or struggle is the story of, that's told in three of the Gospels of Jesus healing a woman with a bleeding problem. Mm -hmm. So she comes, she sees him in the street and she reaches out in faith and touches his cloak. And he turns around and he calls her uh, a name that I would say is very affectionate. He says, mm. daughter, your faith has healed you. Mm. And um, she is healed in that moment. And I would share that story with someone because I think it gives us a chance to see the heart of God and how he sees us. He sees our pain. He cares about us. He heals us. He has, he has shown that he can heal us, and he continues to heal and comfort us. And it would be an opportunity to just come and see Jesus together and be encouraged in our faith. Mm -hmm. So I would start there because um, I like to encourage people with yep. stories from the Bible and, and looking at Jesus together. And so when I was thinking about this question, that came to mind. And then I had to do a little research on in vitro fertilization. And so I did. And I learned um, actually from another podcast. I don't know if I can give mm -hmm. a shout out to Absolutely. another one. It's um, Give Grace. Okay. It's a woman named Megan Smalley. Mm -hmm. She's from Auburn, Alabama. Okay. And she tells her story. Mm. And she tells it with honesty. And mm. she tells... Um, how difficult mm. IVF is, and she gives all the details. So if someone needs mm. to be informed, they can listen to that first mm -hmm. episode on Give Grace and just really hear from the heart of a woman who's experienced it, because yep. I have not experienced it. But it's my understanding that this specific question is about the treatment that a woman would receive in the very beginning stages of mm -hmm. IVF treatment. And that is um, the injections that either a doctor administers or a woman gives herself, which is a, a hormone therapy that promotes the release of multiple eggs. Yep. And the injection does that, and, and the woman goes into the doctor, and they remove the eggs and then fertilize them in the lab and then implant them back into her uterus. Mm -hmm. So that, to me, in a nutshell, is the process of IVF. Yes. And when I look at that, I um, personally do not think that that's usurping the authority of God. I think that we use medicine and what God has already ordained that he puts together to create human life. And um, so using a, an extra dose of hormones to aid in the release of multiple eggs, I don't think is usurping his mm -hmm. authority. Ultimately, he is sovereign over life. 
And I think I would encourage the person who asked this question to think about that and to think very seriously about participating in IVF because it is, according to the, this podcast I listened to, it could be completely draining emotionally, mm-hmm. physically, spiritually, and even financially. Mm-hmm. So it's a big decision to make. Yeah. But I would also say that I don't think it's usurping God's authority because he ultimately determines life and he will determine which of those embryos that are fertilized Mm -hmm. are viable and come to full um, birth. Well, and one of the ethical questions that often people ask around this is, so if we fertilize, say, 20 eggs, Mm -hmm. freeze them, and then we're choosing which eggs then get implanted and get life and which ones remain frozen or don't get the chance. And so that becomes one of the, the trickier ethical questions and I think sometimes even this question is is maybe driving to that. Like, am I now deciding which eggs get fertilized, get a chance, mm-hmm. rather than leaving that up to God? But but I think the impulse that you're speaking of is right, is to say, if you can use medicine to to bring about a good end, mm-hmm. I'm not sure that that's, that, that I would question that as usurping God's sovereignty or authority. Um, I think whoever goes down this path does need to be aware of all the ethical implications. Like, right. what do we do with these eggs if mm-hmm. we don't um, end up implanting them? Right. Uh, um, and are we comfortable with that decision from mm-hmm. an ethical, spiritual standpoint is a good question to ask. Um, sure but sometimes it's, uh, it, it, sometimes you can't ask, answer every question before you make a decision. Right. Because you don't know how many it will take or what will be engaged. And I've certainly sat with enough people over the years who are facing this this issue. And there's the incredible pain of saying we're not able to conceive. And this might offer us a chance to have a baby when it doesn't seem like we could otherwise. And so to to not pursue that when it's available Mm -hmm. seems to be overly restrictive to me as well as long as you can address some of those those harder ethical issues what um so you said you listened to a podcast what would be the spiritual drain for somebody i mean the financial drain is obvious uh it's an expensive procedure uh where's the spiritual drain that's a great question because i was thinking about this and i was thinking about the person who maybe asked this question and i would um, encourage that person to think about um, her prayer life and how is she praying. And I think I was reading Psalm 145 yesterday about how God hears the prayers mm-hmm. of the people who fear him. And then the very next verse is he satisfies the longings mm-hmm. of, our, of our souls. And so I, I know that there have been people who've prayed and prayed and prayed for a baby. Um, and I think I would encourage that that um, honest desire and longing, I would encourage that person, I would validate that desire, but I would also pray that they ask them to pray for God's plan for their lives, and that sometimes he satisfies those longings with motherhood, and mm-hmm. sometimes he satisfies those longings with ministry opportunity mm-hmm. or career, or maybe even a combination of all three. Mm-hmm. Often, he satisfies us more than we ever ask or imagine. Yeah. So we can get spiritually drained if we're asking what we want, but then we're spiritually refreshed, in my opinion, when we begin to ask what he might want for our lives. Yeah. So that would be my encouragement Yeah, and part to of someone. the drain is probably as you pray for something, hope for something, that you say, we want this, but maybe God doesn't want it. And then how is God good if if what I want doesn't line up with what he seems to want. And that's, that, that is a spiritually taxing place mm-hmm. to be. 
And then you ride there. the roller coaster of maybe it took, maybe it didn't, mm -hmm. maybe God's good, maybe God isn't good. And so I think uh, to, to your point, having a perspective that says God is good regardless, mm -hmm. um, he, may, he may be doing something else that I can't see or understand, but that is a hard road to walk when you're in the middle of longing or desiring something mm -hmm. uh, that, that isn't, uh, doesn't seem to be happening. So, right. okay. so here's a, a question. And this is, um, came from our student ministry uh, kind of forum where we asked students, what do you want to hear about? Right. And, uh, and one of the students asked, what does the Bible say about suicide? So since a student asked that, um, I am going to focus on teenage suicide, if that's mm -hmm. okay. And I learned from the newspaper just this week that we're at an all-time high mm -hmm. of teen teenage suicide. It's just second to... Um, adolescents dying in accidents. Mm -hmm. And this newspaper article told me that the, about 50% of suicides are the result of, of depression, which we're going to mm -hmm. talk about a little bit more in this, in this podcast. But another 50% are the result of impulsivity to just a, a dramatic situation mm -hmm. or a desperate situation. And so as I went back to the question, I thought about those two scenarios, if you will, and I found um, of the seven suicides mentioned in the Bible, because the question is, what does mm -hmm. the Bible say about suicide? There's an example of each of those. So I just mm -hmm. want to briefly talk about mm -hmm. each of those. Um, we can read in 1 Samuel 31 of King Saul, who chooses in a desperate moment to fall mm -hmm. on his own sword mm -hmm. and take his own life. Now, that is a desperate moment in that time, but we can read back into um, maybe chapter 15 of 1 Samuel and see that he was tormented mm -hmm. by some e evil spirits or mental illness, mm -hmm. a lot of scholars think. Yeah. So maybe that was the culmination, the straw that broke the camel's back for him, but he truly had um, perhaps mental illness that was untreated. Mm -hmm. So that would be an example of 50% of, of suicide. And then the other example that came to mind was Judas Iscariot, one of Jesus's disciples, mm -hmm. when he realized um, his responsibility in the crucifixion mm -hmm. of Christ, he went out and hung himself. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's a response to a desperate situation mm -hmm. that could be resolved and forgiven, but he couldn't um, resolve that. Mm -hmm. He, he, Implemented. So it's when somebody gets so um, overwhelmed by darkness in their own mind, like there's mm -hmm. no way out of this, that sometimes their impulse is, I just need to be, right. be out, okay? Right. And those people need to be reminded that it is a feeling that they're experiencing that's temporary, but the, the choice for suicide is permanent. Mm. You know, it's a permanent mm -hmm. solution to a temporary problem that could probably be treated or resolved. Okay. Um, suicide affects so many people, Kurt, as you know, you probably, mm -hmm. every one of our listeners probably knows someone who yeah. has attempted or, or succeeded, mm -hmm. you can't even say succeeded, right, with that um, completed, I would say. Yeah. Um, and so um, I just want to be clear that it affects not just people who are people of faith, mm -hmm. but it also affects people who are not of faith, yeah. and it affects families who have members who are struggling with these desperate thoughts mm -hmm. of suicide. So I would dare to say almost all of the population, human population mm -hmm. is affected by this, this issue. And so, I, and I think because of this topic today, it's worth mentioning the um, suicide prevention hotline yep. number. If we could put that in the show notes, it's 1-800-273-TALK, mm -hmm. T-A-L-K. Um, because if someone is in a moment of that desperation, they need to reach out and, and talk to someone. Yeah. 
and get some help. And we, of course, have a counseling department mm -hmm. here. So if someone would come to me and say they have these thoughts, right. I would be clear to say I'm not a counselor. I'm an encourager and a teacher of God's word. And mm -hmm. we can look into the scriptures and see what the Bible says about suicide. Mm -hmm. But if you truly need some help with this journey, I want to recommend Christian counseling. Yeah. Um, also, you know, I was thinking about sometimes it is a, a matter of circumstances and mm -hmm. situations, but other times it is a, a chemical imbalance in the brain. Yep. And that needs to be treated. It needs to be diagnosed as we would any other disease and treat it. And in combination with medicine and therapy and maybe a lifestyle change mm -hmm. and exercise, a person can, can get better. Can change, yeah. Yeah, they can change. I was talking to a friend yesterday who says that she has struggled with suicide since she thoughts of suicide since she was a child mm -hmm. and when she was in high school she didn't go through with it because she was taught that if she did she would be eternally damned mm -hmm. in hell and so the the thought of eternal damnation kept her from the hell that she felt she was mm -hmm. living on earth and now as a mother and a wife she does she keeps herself from doing it because she feels that people are depending on her and it mm -hmm. would devastate them if she chose to end her life mm -hmm. so those are the thing her you know the things that are in her mind that keep her mm -hmm. choosing life and it's worth mentioning that because um we want to know what the bible says about that sin is it forgivable right. or is it not forgivable mm -hmm. and from my research my limited mm -hmm. knowledge of the bible i feel that it is a forgivable sin mm -hmm. that if someone um, gets into that desperate place and impulsively or out of depression takes her own life that she is forgiven as a believer in christ mm -hmm. because there are many people who die with unconfessed and unrepented sin mm -hmm. and i think the bible is pretty clear that there's only one unforgivable sin and mm -hmm. that's blasphemy of the holy spirit mm -hmm. that would be another podcast altogether mm -hmm. we're not going to yes. talk about yeah, we'll that. leave that one alone for right now yes <laughs> right but i think um christians um can sometimes tell people that your faith isn't strong enough or you're not praying hard enough you need to just pull yourself up by your boot bootstraps and I don't think that's the healthy way to help right. someone who has these thoughts I think that it's a true darkness and yeah. um, a struggle for people and we need to be, as the church we need to provide a place for people to come yeah. and be accepted and find support and be encouraged to find Jesus and follow Jesus and yeah. um, be prayed for and prayed with right um, one more thing I wanted to say about choosing life with my friend I was talking to yesterday. She says that she has to make the choice every day mm. to choose life. And I just was reading a whole chapter of scripture about that. Deuteronomy 30 is mm. all about choosing life. Mm -hmm. And again and again, the writer says that you get to choose life and this is what it means to choose life. It mm -hmm. means to love the Lord with all your heart, to fear him and obey him. And then mm -hmm. there's a promise. He gives us life and long days, mm -hmm. the length of days. Mm -hmm. And so I think I would, you know, use that for encouragement for someone who yeah. struggles. You know, we get to choose life. Let's choose it together. What does it mean? Well, let's, let's look at that together. Let's learn to love God and fear him and obey his word and see how that changes yeah. living. Good, good. So to living. summarize, if you're listening, watching, and you're having thoughts like this, um, don't just stuff them, but reach out to somebody, whether, this, whether it be the suicide prevention line, uh, the church here, a church you're part of, uh, a school counselor, somebody who can help you 
address uh, some of those, those dark thoughts. And, and I think what we would say is that the Bible doesn't call it unforgivable, but the Bible also doesn't leave you without hope. That, that God's uh, plan for you really is better than whatever it is that you're experiencing right now that makes you feel so hopeless. And so um, what, what we want to encourage you to do is to choose life, is to say that, that God uh, can and will work in your world in a way that, that will one day you'll look back and say, I'm so glad that I did not uh, go down this path and miss some of what God had for me in this life. Uh, along the way. So, so along with that, and you mentioned this, that, that these two really tie together is uh, what does the Bible say about depression? Again, from, from some of our students mm -hmm. in student ministry. Again, the Bible says a lot about mm -hmm. depression. So I'm currently studying the Psalms. In fact, a lot of the women here at Orchard Hill are studying this in a mm -hmm. current Tuesday morning and evening Bible study. And the Psalms display the full range of human emotion, and that includes depression and anxiety. So the first two psalms that kind of popped into my mind when, you know, looking into this are Psalm 22 and 88. And I find it interesting that um, the, the psalmists talk about this um, deep darkness, this anguish of soul, mm -hmm. this desire to be cut off, which is that what we were just talking about, you know, taking one's own life, cut off from this life because mm -hmm. it feels like God is not hearing their prayers. Mm -hmm. It feels like God is not present. Um, again, that's a feeling. It's maybe not a reality. I believe in the reality of God's presence with us and his um, rule and reign over our lives, but sometimes it's just not felt for mm -hmm. someone who's struggling with anxiety and depression. And so it's interesting that Christ quotes Psalm 22, 1 on the cross. Mm -hmm. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that Psalm goes on to tell, to say, you know, why have you not heard my cry? Why have you not um, given me safety or mm -hmm. relieved me or saved me, right? Mm -hmm. That's a paraphrase, I'm not quoting. But I think Jesus says that in that moment to show us that he fully understands the human need for mm -hmm. God and that we are broken without him and that we need to know his presence and his salvation. And he, ex he experienced all range of human emotion for us. Mm -hmm. And he came to die on the cross so that we can be right with God and so that we can be restored to him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it, it strikes me that um, what's hard about depression is that, is that there's not a single cause. And so the easy thing to do uh, if you are depressed or you know somebody who's depressed is to say, well, this is what worked for me or I know this worked for somebody else. So this is the, this is the problem mm -hmm. and this is the cause. And instead of being able to say, this is nuanced, sometimes there's a chemical cause mm -hmm. and somebody, what they need is a prescription, but not everyone needs a prescription. Um, sometimes there's a social cause. Sometimes people just are feeling alone and what they need is community and, mm -hmm. and people around them and support. Sometimes there is a spiritual cause. Not always is the answer to say, you need to repent and get right with Jesus, but sometimes it is mm -hmm. because sometimes depression is a result of of our own sinfulness. You mentioned the Psalms. I think it's what Psalm 55, uh, no, 32, where, uh, where the psalmist begins talking about how his soul is just in anguish mm -hmm. because of his unrepented sin. Mm -hmm. and, and so there's, there is sometimes a spiritual cause, sometimes a social cause, sometimes a, a physical cause, mm -hmm. um, sometimes uh, something that feels more emotional. And, and in order to really address it, you have to examine all of those and then say, which of these 
issues is most likely uh, part of the uh, of the response. And, and and it is interesting, certainly not speaking of chemical depression here, but how often depression is tied to our idolatry. And what I mean by that mm -hmm. is we want something so desperately and we tell ourselves, if I don't have that, then I can't have life joyfully. My, my life will be bad. And what we've done is we've taken something that's temporal, something that's an idol, and we've elevated it to elevated it to ultimate status. And as a result, we've given it more power than it should because instead of worshiping God, we're worshiping that thing. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and sometimes there is just that spiritual transition of saying, I have to stop worshiping even a good thing, mm -hmm. even something that I think if I had this, my life would be better and, and be able to say, no, I'm gonna worship God and choose to not let that thing be a substitute God in my life. And, mm -hmm. And we don't often like to say that because it's easier to talk about the chemical side or the emotional side, both of which, again, I think are absolutely real and possible. Um, but sometimes there is a spiritual issue where, where we've um, just too easily made something else into our ultimate good. Mm -hmm. So I think of Job and how he, he experienced depression because of his circumstances, if you know the story mm -hmm. of Job. But then he was restored to joy because of his faithfulness to God. So mm -hmm. we do see some redemptive um, redemption in his life because of a shift in thinking yeah. for, for Job. I, I know this question was from students, but I would like to just encourage parents to not be afraid to, to ask students who are in your home, teenagers who are in your home, how are you feeling? Yeah. And don't shame a person who struggles with depression, right. that it is a real thing and it is a, a disease that needs to be treated just like yeah. uh, any other disease. And, yeah, and don't turn your eyes to some of the indicators, excessive sleep, shutting right. themselves out from family or mm -hmm. friendships, uh, going away from productive activity. Yeah, all right. of those all things, those, you right. see it, yeah. They're red flags and don't be afraid to ask. Yeah. Good. Good. Thank you, Emily. Thank you. Again, if you have questions uh, that you'd like us to address on Ask a Pastor, please send them to askapastor@orchardhillchurch.com and we'll be happy to address them on a coming episode. <laughs>